I introduce my next guest today as the person who I looked up to the most or I thought was the coolest person in high school. And I said that because I knew he would get a kick out of it. But there is some truth to that. Myself and Josh Olfert went to the same school. He was a year older than me. Uh, he was the captain of our varsity volleyball team when I was a bench warmer grade 11. And it was a mutual love of personal finance that initially started our friendship. And that's a friendship that has evolved over the last number of years. And one of the reasons that I think it evolved was I reached out to him at one point and I told him that how much I appreciated him for influencing a lot of the ways that I look at life. And he was a little bit confused. And I told him he was actually the reason why I chose not to go into personal finance as a career path and push me to pursue what I'm doing now. The conversation you're about to see, we talk about his obsession with golf, his view on the work that he does, and starting out a new endeavor as a content creator and where he sees that in the future. And I think if you take one thing from this conversation, it'll be the fact that success comes from years upon years of consistent work. I know Josh is an example of that to me and, and hopefully you guys can take something from this conversation because I know I did. Here is a conversation with Josh Olford. I am now joined with the guy who I probably was I probably thought was the coolest guy in high school when we were in high school together. Oh, come on, you can't start with that. <laughs> Absolutely, I can. That's the whole point of my cold opens. Josh Olfert, Josh, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good now, man. <laughs> no, I'm great. Um, like, you know, we chatted both briefly. Like, yeah, just trying to get in a, in, into routine and try to find some meaning and some happiness when there's nothing I can do outside of my own apartment. So, um, yeah, we've been doing doing okay with that, but... No, I'm really happy. To, I'm really excited to have this conversation. And uh, that's a hilarious way to start it off because uh, I certainly didn't see it that way. But <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm here for whatever we want to chat about. I'm more than excited to hop into anything. So thanks for having me and thanks for uh, putting this together. So I, if, for the, those that may not know you, do you want to give a quick 30 second to a minute bio of who you are, what you do? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So uh, more than anything, I am a guy who is obsessed with being the captain of his own ship. I'd say like, that's really what this is all about at the end of the day. Um, I'm really bad at taking instruction. I'm really bad at um, being assigned something or being told there's something I have to do. Uh, and it's not in like some rebellious or angry kind of way. It's more so just like, uh, I really like love my time. There's certain things I get very obsessed about. Like I get obsessed with things very easily. And that means that I am this kind of guy who his North star in life is how do I create a life or a place or an existence where I have full autonomy over what I get to spend my time doing and the work that I like to do and the hobbies I like to do and all that. So what that really transpired into is me getting obsessed with the idea of investing in financial independence. So it's not so much this thing where I was obsessed with money or, or making a lot of it or having a lot of cool things. I mean, at some points I misstepped and fell into those things. But for me, it was mostly like how can I get myself a life where I have complete control over what I spend my time doing? Uh, how can I wake up every morning so that instead of seeing all these tasks that I don't really want to do, I can look at my three month vision or my six month or five year vision for my life and see what that day I can attack. So what that's led to is me becoming an investor 
uh, and becoming a financial advisor. It's kind of weird, like how did you go from one to the other? Well, I think like investing and building wealth and financial independence, all of those things are really about, is about finding a way to take control of your time and your trajectory in your life, not having someone tell you, you know, what your limits of your potential is in your career. How can you start a business where you can be in the front seat of how far you go? Um, how can we invest in a way that we're not trading our time for money every month and, you know, always just trying to make ends meet? How can we be in a place where there isn't much limitation on our time or on our money? So I would say most people would know me as the founder of a company called Haven Wealth Management. Um, that's pr pretty much where most people would know me from publicly. Uh, but other than that, lately I've started a, a YouTube channel because I'm just obsessed with the whole online content thing. I love having good dialogue like this. Um, so yeah, Haven Wealth Management YouTube channel and a guy that just is obsessed with his own hobbies and his own life and wants to just go all in on, on the things he likes. That's, that's my little intro, I would say. Love it. And I think that does sum it up very well. And that actually segued perfectly into my first question. One of those okay. obsessions um, has become golf. Yeah. Oh yeah. How, how are you dealing with the withdrawal symptoms of <laughs> not being able to play? Yeah, no, that's a great question, man. So I took up golf like seriously about two summers ago. Um, and you and I, I remember even you, you took me to like, I remember I, I went out to like some corporate event and just got my butt handed to me. And I was like, man, golf isn't something you just pick up. So I remember talking to you and I said, Hey Matt, like, can you come, can you teach me how to golf? So we went to the driving range and you, you gave me some very basic pointers and built me from the ground up. That was probably three years ago. And then two years ago, like I got a membership and I got super into it, started playing like triple digit rounds a year. Um, and uh, yeah, man, there is something about that game that is more than just a sport. Like there's something about it. And I'm not sure how it's the dynamic between the way it's structured or the overall goal of it, but there's something like metaphysical there for me. It's not like a game that I like to play. There's something there that um, provides like meaning in some weird way, or it provides like peace. It provides like a, a place I can go that just for like, the, it's the only thing in my life where for four hours I can do something and not think about anything but that. Um, and I mean, sometimes work can feel like that and different, you know, uh, passions can feel like that, but golf has been, has been big there. It's definitely hit me. It's hit me in some kind of weird way, which like some people would look at that and be like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Like, that makes no sense. Like, it's just a sport. Like you're going to waste your life hitting this white ball to stick, but there's something there. Anyways, withdrawal symptoms. Luckily, I mean, I say this in a really weird way. Luckily my back is completely shot from just playing too much and not taking care of my body. So I need this winter to like do physio and do Cairo and do training and like get myself ready. So that when spring comes around we're playing so luckily because of the back injury um i'm not experiencing too much withdrawal i couldn't be out there anyways <laughs> and i i don't think we got to play last last summer we played the summer before that but it'll be something that we definitely play at least a couple of times oh no we did play last summer we, we played in a tournament and yeah. we we all were, were were just having too much fun being around each other that we didn't really focus up too much but uh, we, we were awful as a team <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i remember I, I i missed my first putt like six feet short and like it was not that it was probably like a 12 footer <laughs> what i what i remember about that was just how nervous you were oh dude i like i'm i'm i don't know how to explain it like the for me like when I'm around a new group of people playing that game, it's like, I'm back at square one. I don't know mm -hmm. what it is. Maybe it's this whole like social comparison thing. you like, you want to make it look like, oh, it's like, well, you put so much time into like practicing and having an effort and putting in all that time to be better that when you're around people, it's like, I can't be a loser again. So what that means is I'm just not good enough. 
because mm-hmm. once you're good enough at something, you don't worry about what other people think about because you're self-assured. So there's still a piece of you in that game that's like, man, I'm not nearly good enough that I can just play with a completely new group of people and be myself. <laughs> that I, I've explained to people that um, I've played in like provincial finals for basketball um, and like overtime games, like really high pressure situations. And the first turn, the first tee of a tournament uh, will always be more nerve wracking than that, that game of basketball. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's, it's exactly what you just said. It's the fact that like, I knew exactly what my role was in basketball and I knew I could execute it like beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I've never had reached that point in golf where I just could step up and hit it, which I've kind of oh. got to now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's one of the lessons I took from you is just step up and hit it. And it's like, that's fantastic advice, but I think there's a lot of stepping up and hit it I have to do before I can just walk right into that. And it's, it's the same for anything that I've ever done, whether it's like something that I got really into, whether it was volleyball at first or business second, it's like, you're always going to feel that um, self-consciousness or that lack of confidence when it's just your body telling you, hey, you haven't practiced this enough or you haven't been in this situation enough to like feel confident executing to the best of your ability. So it's just getting the reps. I mean, once I play golf around 20, 30 different new groups of people, that'll go away. But I know that I'm just not there yet. So it's almost like a nice physiological sign that you need more practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Another, another great, so because the other area I really wanted to talk to you about was your decision to now jump headlong into online content. Right, right. What were, uh, what was the initial, like, I know that's something that you've wanted to do, but what finally got you to say, like, I'm going to do this consistently? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll start with the story, which is I tried to do YouTube three years ago, like in 2016. And I thought just like, oh man, like it makes so much sense. Like there's a lot of people who are getting a lot of uh, traction from it. There's a lot of ways this could support my business. Like I would probably find it fun. Everything about this is interesting. But the, the, what everybody finds is so difficult is the consistency. Like, how do you force yourself to come up with something twice a week for two years? Because you're not going to get any traction unless you come up with something regularly for a long period of time. It's like anything worthwhile, anything meaningful is going to take time to compound. So, and uh, sorry, I go on tangents. A tangent to that is anything that doesn't take a long time is probably, it's probably fake. It's not the real thing. And that's just the way I've come to learn things is like when I talk about investing with clients, right? It's like, if you're day trading, you're making quick money. It's like it's like the materialism or like the pornography. It's like that quick hit that is just like that dopamine that has no meaningful long-term value whatsoever. So anyways, all that being said, coming back to the YouTube story, I posted a bunch of videos and I came back to them about eight, nine months ago. And two of my videos had like 30,000 views on them. And they had like 200 when I posted them. So it hit me immediately. Like what would have happened? Where would I be? Where would my business be? Where would my career be? You know, the, all, all, the internet is just this engine for serendipity. It's like you put stuff out there about yourself and everybody who's interested receives it and they start talking to you. And then you foster these connections and maybe they become a client or whatever. All this to say, I feel like by not continuing to go down that road, by deciding, oh man, I've made eight videos, but this is just too hard to edit and film and all this stuff, I stopped and what I learned was that if I had just kept going, maybe I would have hundreds of videos with 30,000 views on them. So that hit me like over the head. It was like a baseball bat. I was like, man, like look at where you could be had you just kept going. Like you had the idea, right? Everything was right. You just stopped. So that's kind of the story that, that I would say kicked me into gear specifically, but I don't know. It's just, it's just becoming more and more obvious to me 
like as an advisor or someone who's in wealth management, the last hundred years has all been all about go find business owners, go find people who are in some industrial job, go find people who have built a company and hired people because that's where the wealth is. That's where you can like provide value and service as a financial advisor. And my experience working with my own age group is just completely different than that. It seems obvious to me that the new wealth or the new business or the new cohort of people who are going to take control of their life are creators. Um, it seems obvious to me that that's where this is going. Now, it's kind of a pretty big assumption or eh, it's like a big claim to make. Uh, but I would say that it's just, you know, when you start a company, there's so much risk and there you have to hire people. And what people don't understand is that when you hire people, they stress you out way more than a boss stresses out someone that's been hired. So you're hiring people and that's something that you've got to keep tabs on. And there's, you know, people trying to take you out for whatever reason you have competitors and all this stuff. Um, there's accounting and marketing and advertising. Starting a company is really hard. Um, and traditionally in the world, the only way to do what you wanted for a living and work on your own time was to start a company. Like that's where you had to go. You had to start some business you were interested in and make a living off of that. But now it's like, okay, there's this new thing that's been created over the last decade called a creator. And these people are people who are obsessive about one particular idea, whether it's math or whether it's astronomy or whether it's um, whatever it is. Like you can have anything. The world is big enough. You can create a platform for like-minded people, people who are interested in what it is that you're doing. And you can monetize that. You can grow a channel, a YouTube channel to a quarter million subscribers just based on some little niche. And you can, that can pay you for the rest of your life, provided YouTube doesn't, you know, X, nay, everything. But all this being said, it's like I'm running into client after client after client and story after story after story of somebody who achieved what it is that I want, which is that life where I get to spend the maximal time doing things that are meaningful and exciting to me. They've achieved that and they didn't have to do the 34 years of compounding their investments. They didn't have to do the 10 years of trying to start a company. They just went all in on the thing they were excited with. And it kind of became a source of income. It became a career for them. So I would say it's twofold. One is I want that for myself. And two is if I'm going to be someone who is a financial or a wealth advisor, my thought has always been, I need to be involved in all the things that my clients are. I need to know what it's like to have that experience of owning a portfolio of stock market investments through a, a crisis or what it's like to invest in different companies or what it's like to own real estate. And now to me, or, you know, what it's like to own a business, because that's what a lot of these people do. But now I don't know what it's like to be a creator. And now all of these clients that are coming to me are like creators. And it's like, uh, I don't really, I can't empathize with what you do. I don't. So for me, it's like, man, from so many different angles, it's like, this is something I have to do. Yeah. And I found that it just helped my life in so many ways. It's self-development to the 10th degree, because when I got in front of the camera for the first time, I was like a lost boy looking for his mom in the mall, like. I was freaking out. My, I was red in the face. I was so scared the world was judging me. And that went away. And now it's like, I do a call with you like this. And it's just like, it's just fun, right? Um, so that like, it's developing me. It's bringing in clients to my business. It's a potential new form of career or income later down the line. So just so many things happened at once for it to be the right decision. And then ultimately I was like, all right, what more do I need? Like if, if this doesn't get you up doing something, um, you're pretty much hopeless. <laughs> so that, that, that's my long winded answer to, to what got me started there. And uh, yeah, we were super lucky to, yeah, like I think it was Friday, we got to a thousand subscribers. 
Um, so it's kind of rolling along slowly, but I'm not, I'm not thinking twice about it until I get through two years of posting every week. Yeah. The, uh, I think the, the creator mindset that you're at least attempting now, um, is directly related to how you approach something like golf. Mm, tell me more. So you, you just said, I'm not going to look at what, like kind of whether I succeed or fail at this until two years of posting twice a week. Right. And what most people, when they pick up golf is they spend a couple of lessons with somebody. They don't see these massive gains and they said, Oh, I can't do this. Right. Whereas you have had the most obnoxious uh, score diff, uh, score improvement that I've ever seen in someone picking up golf, <laughs> but it didn't come overnight. It right. came from two years of you legitimately obsessing over this thing. And right. It, it came from ten thousand range buckets. <laughs> like I, I we I said this like last year, but you probably hit more golf balls in the last two years than I have in the last ten. <laughs> yeah, but you have that built up decade of confidence that you can still slap me around a golf course but when you go out and you shoot because what was your low score last year oh man i didn't even believe it it was a sample error so i might not even say my best one i'll say my second best one (laughs) my second best one was probably 77 somehow i shot a 71 but it was just I, i couldn't recreate that i couldn't do it again either way you you did end up shooting it when you shot 70 most people on, on a difficult golf course, most people do not come anywhere near that in two years. Interesting. Right. But the reason that you were able to do it was it was two years of nose to the grindstone, being okay with the plateaus and like small, like slow gains. But here's something interesting, man. Like I, I, I agree with you so much, but the interesting thing about it is like, it didn't even for a moment feel like I was working on it, you know? It was like, it was almost like, and this is this so cliche, like do something you enjoy, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to even go there because we've all heard it a million times, but it was such an interesting feeling because it wasn't something that I had to even think about. Yep. It was like, I just, I was, if I had an hour of free time, I was driving, other, I was driving there. Um, and it was like, this is just the funnest thing. It's like, it's almost like you feel this weird, not like a calling, but it's like, you don't make, I didn't make any of that decision. It was just kind of like pre-made for me. It was like, if I have an hour of free time, it's something that I enjoy so much. It takes me away from everything that's going on in my mind. And like, it's something that I can improve at. And if I've learned anything about myself over the last, let's say decade, it's like, I don't need to achieve anything. I don't need to be successful. I don't need to have whatever. I don't need to shoot 71. I need to see myself getting a little bit better every day or getting a little bit better every year. And if I like the biggest dopamine hits or, or serotonin, whatever chemical it is, the biggest endorphins I ever receive are when I can, I've been able to measure that I've, I've progressed in some area. It's like whether I read a fantastic book and it reshifts the whole way I think about a lot of things and it fills in a lot of the holes I had before. And I feel like, Oh, I can think clearer now. Or if I get one more client, it's like, Oh, my business is that little bit bigger. Or if, you know, I, I'm shooting one stroke, stroke lower, right? So it's like golf is this thing where I was started out so bad and it was this area of my life where I can improve that the easiest because I'm so bad. And it just almost, yeah, it became an addiction because you see that progress and you can't stop. At least I can't stop. How, uh, how has that changed over the last, well, probably close to a decade? Because I know from past or there's like our past conversations 
mm-hmm. it seemed like your goals used to be much more with the end in in right in, yeah yeah so as a, as a volleyball player you want to be like the you know an mvp at nationals i did i wanted that really in, bad. in finances you wanted to purchase a lamborghini yeah oh yeah so That's like, what, still a goal, by the way <laughs> absolutely um but what was at what point did that really shift for you of taking like the the journey of towards maybe you could call it mastery or the journey of progress instead of those end validation goals great question great question um what i realized is that everything that i was chasing was for status Mm. i realized it that nothing that i was really doing or putting my heart and soul into was for my own enjoyment i mean it was like i was enjoying it because of the progress but the ultimate end I was seeking was to be seen better by other people. It was, how can I be the most popular person? How can I be the person who people admire? How can I be that person that people go to for help? I want to be an inspiration. And it's like, it, it, there, I think it's, it's tough because there are good versions of that. You can be a praiseworthy person that a lot of people admire and like, and you deserve it. Um, and that's great. But for me, it was being the best volleyball player, being the best, whatever, owning the Lamborghini, all that stuff. It was always for me, like there was some attention, like it, it, it just screamed that there was some attention, like I didn't get as a kid or something, which isn't true. Like I had a fantastic family and like, but it just seems like there was some hole. There was some, um, there was some void I was trying to fill by always having to one up people and always being the best at something. For some reason or another, it got into my head that the way that you're a valuable person or the way that you can get people to care or to like you or to have a good existence is to achieve a ton of stuff. And not only do you need to achieve a ton of stuff, you need to achieve more than everyone else. And it was like this zero sum pie fallacy where someone else had more success or more attention that somehow like took from mine. And that's the same way. And, you know, I don't want to get into this, but that's the same way people view wealth and in like income inequality and all that stuff these days is if someone has more, I have less, but these are all fallacies. Like it's not true at all. Um, And when I, for the first time, like I had this crushing experience where two of my closest friends essentially achieved all of the dreams that I had set for myself. And it was like, you, you have this such a weird dichotomy in your mind of like, I'm so happy and proud of them, but I'm so resentful at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like your ex-girlfriend wins the lottery. It's like, oh man, not only, you know, am I, do I feel like my relationship with this person is tarnished, but now their life is perfect and they have everything settled and they're, they're, they're fine. And here's sorry old me grinding away, not getting anywhere. So I think I realized through that trauma, like waking up every day for two years being like, I'm so behind, I'm so behind, I'm such a failure. Like I'm an absolute loser. Like everybody gets places further than me, faster than me. And then I had tied all my worth to my achievement. I realized that if I had just kept thinking myself into that hole, I would have lived a depressed miserable life and it quickly dawned on me like I don't know I wouldn't say quickly it eventually dawned on me that maybe if the way I'm seeing the world constantly causes me anxiety and depression and and I don't want to I don't use I'm using those words lightly um it seems to me that if I'm always just burdened by my own mind maybe I'm not looking at the world the right way (laughs) um so I started to over time it wasn't like overnight but over time started to shift this whole idea that my importance or my value is, is directly tied to how much I accomplish relative to someone else. And after really discovering that, I realized that, you know, the things that actually do excite me in like a more whole and long-term in a more 
in just a, in, in a more pure way, it almost seems. Um, not always trying to be the best at something or beat other people or get to the highest spot, but more so, you know, how can I be of value to people? How can I create win-wins? How can I have a business that helps the maximum number of people? Um, and these all seem cliche again, but at the end of the day, it's like I, I came to realize that um, if I can win by helping other people win in whatever it is that they're trying to do, it's like that's almost, it's just so much better to me than trying to just status chase. Um, so anyways, that's a long rant as well, but that's pretty much where that whole experience came from of being super like focused on the end, um, to now being more so just, yeah, more open-minded to the fact that, um, maybe that's not the right way to think. <laughs> that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Well, it's, it seems like there's now there's a kind of an understanding of appreciating where you are like at that moment mm-hmm. but also being able to see yourself three years down the road and be like I could be so much better if I stick to what I'm doing consistently. yeah totally um one thought came to my mind there which was um oh, let me think for a second it was a what, what sorry what did you just say I have to bring this up again in terms of like being accepting and like appreciating where you are currently right without being complacent and saying that I can be, I'm going to be so much better in three years if I maintain those same habits. And Right. And I mean, one thing, yeah, one thing that came to my mind when you said that was um, that whole process that I went through of having to make that shift of being so focused on the end and all this stuff we're talking about, I would have had to face that at some point. Mm. Like it was just an error. It was an error in the code of my mind somewhere that I picked up along the way. And it was something that was either going to have to happen to me when I was 22 or it was going to have to happen to me when I was 42 or 62. And I'm lucky. I'm just super blessed that all of that, you know, you transform so much as a young person. I'm blessed that I had all those transformations when there wasn't like a marriage on the line or there wasn't a business that was completely on the line or anything like that, because um, yeah, it took a lot to to get through that. But anyways. And so this is going to be like probably the second last thing I ask. Sure. I know, I think it was two years ago, we met up at a Starbucks and we had a great long, an hour and a half, two hour conversation. We, te- we it, tend to do that. We, we do tend to do that whenever we do talk. Um, the one thing that you brought up that you were doing at the time was you were basically grading yourself on various aspects of your day and keeping it like spreadsheet. So you could like, you had like a an actual number kind of how good that day was in your own mind. Right. One, can you explain that too? Are you still doing that? Yeah, great question. So I would say, yeah. So essentially what I had was a spreadsheet and I had all of the different areas of my life that I wanted to improve or make some noticeable change in. And I would rate myself, I believe, on a scale of one to five every single day. So it was certain things like around my fitness. Did I go to the gym? Did I eat the meals that I plan to eat uh, in my business? Did I make sure all my clients are happy? Did I reach out to new potential opportunities? Whatever. Sports all these different areas of my life that I wanted to make progress in, I had a daily ranking and I probably updated it every day for six months. And here's the funny thing. It's like meditation or it's like, um, it's this thing, or or here's a good example. It's like rehabbing an injury or or meditation. It's this thing that you do when life is hard and you're in a bad spot and you're not happy with where you're at. Mm. So you have to keep yourself accountable. And then once you start taking those actions and you realize, oh man, like every day I'm fulfilling my duties, I'm fulfilling my roles, I'm getting my meaning from that. Life's getting better in certain areas. 
then your life gets better in certain areas. And that's why what gets you there is that you take those daily, you know, actions. And what happens is over time, you're like, oh, my life's pretty good. Like, I don't need to meditate anymore. Like I can give up today because I feel great. And I can give up rehabbing my injury because I feel really good today because I've been rehabbing for the last two weeks. And um, my life feels great. I don't have to start recording this stuff anymore. So for me, something that I've always had the challenge with in my life, the thing that I'm, I have a weakness with is like, I have very few habits and rituals that I've stuck to for 10 years. I mean, you like the basics when I shower in the morning, have a coffee, eat food, like those, but the things that I need to do to make me a better person, whether it's being in the gym more often or, or um, doing certain things in my business or whatever it might be, I have a hard time sticking to some strategy for a decade. I have a hard time making habits, um, routine, something that I do over and over. So the answer in, in a long form is no, I don't do that every day, but I still obviously have some form of structure for what I want to get done every day, but it's no longer this like authoritarian, uh, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this or else your day's a zero out of five and you, you know, you fail. Um, but I can probably bet you if my life gets to a point as dire as that one before, I'll probably start doing it again. Just like I start meditating when I need to and rehabbing when I, when I feel bad. So <laughs> well, and I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with being self-aware enough to know that like, that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I know I did something similar when I was like three years ago, I was in a really bad spot and I just said, Hey, I'm going to use the game of basketball and try to get as good as I can at basketball. And I used it as a catalyst to change all these other habits. Yeah. You know, so I got for in sure. the gym before seven for a hundred days in a row. And I was watching what I was eating and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm going to try really hard at that. So I can try really hard at other things. Yeah. That's and, huge. And I started to document it. I wrote a blog, had another YouTube channel going. And then I realized like last spring, I was like, huh, my life was got significantly better back then. Then I stopped doing that stuff. Right. I'm kind of back at the same square one that I was. Totally. Yeah. There's it. It seems to me that there's these overflow habits. I think James Clear can't coin the term, but it's like there's certain habits that when you stick to everything in your life changes. For me, go if I'm going to the gym, it's like an overflow habit. If I'm reading, if I'm reading good books and they're, they're having that impact on my mind, I feel like everything stems from it. Because if you go to the gym and you have a great session, the last thing you want to do is stuff yourself with bad food because you're wasting that gym session. Yeah. And if you ate good food all day and you went to the gym, why would you ruin all that progress by not going to bed on time? And mm -hmm. then why would you ruin all that progress by drinking alcohol? Yeah. Or why would you ruin all that by doing this? And then if you read the book and you, 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 hit, you nailed your diet and all this stuff and your life's changing and you're getting these new perspectives. It's like, why would you waste them by not acting them out in the world? And it's like, there's these little habits that you have that once you get them moving, it almost attracts all this other great stuff to happen. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it's always trying to find out like, what is that one overflow habit that like, what's that one step? Because we all know this whole like dilemma with new year's resolutions, which is like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to eat perfectly. I'm going to do all this stuff. And it's like, you're just overloading your brain. Your brain just can't take that much change at once. So for me, it's like, what is the one single thing we can optimize for that's going to have a ripple effect through all the other things? Because I can, I can maybe commit to reading a chapter of a book a day, but I don't know if I can commit to losing 20 pounds and eating perfectly and doing this and doing that. Right. So um, anyways, that would be my, my take there. No, I love that. Very, the, 
Gary Keller's one thing's been mentioned a few times on on the on in my interviews. So that's very much a principle of that. Is what's what is that? Thing. Oh yeah, tell me more about that. So it's this principle that what one thing will make every other activity easier or non-essential. I love that. That's wow. awesome. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Very cool. It's it's is it called the one thing? Yeah. Oh, I have it on my shelf. I just haven't read it. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. That's Anyways, awesome. uh, I appreciate your time there, Josh. One, one th- I, I've, I've told you that I appreciate you for different reasons before in the past. One of them being is Josh is the reason why I didn't go into personal finance as a career, <laughs> um, which I told you that before. One of the other things that I realized as I was journaling recently was I believe it was your idea of um budgeting out kind of like different tiers of your life yeah and like actually setting a like a dollar value to them that made me realize that most of the things that I get the most enjoyment out of don't cost very much money at all and if anything I I can get paid to do um so yeah you're one of the biggest catalysts for the way that my lifestyle is set up uh well that's fantastic man that makes me so happy and I just think that um we, we never are asked to like put our dream life on a piece of paper. And I think that if, if you, if you were to think about what your dream life is, your mind obviously shoots at all these social, like these cultural social things that we've been taught. Like I want a really nice house and I want a really nice car and I want all this stuff and I want to take really big vacations, but there's this really wonderful benefit of, you know, having a some financial success or independence that you get, which is you realize very quickly that, those things are just so temporary and it's almost, it's almost cliche to even say this, but it's like you re- the, the benefit that people who have wealth have is they realize more than anyone that every single thing we're chasing is meaningless. Like we can chase more and more and it's just going to be more and more meaningless stuff. So it's like you have to, and everybody's different. You have to figure out what is the thing that's actually going to bring me the most joy and fulfillment. And for me, like, I feel like I've, I've done a decent job locating those things. It's more so about how do I maximize my life so I can do them more often and yeah. spend more time doing those things I really enjoy doing and outsourcing the things I don't like. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic because I think when people get honest and they get past all the things that their brain just populates them with, they get honest, they dig deep and they find here are the five or six things that make me feel alive or are going to make me feel the most alive with the rest of the, the next 80 years that I have or, or less. They realize that, whoa, like I can put down on a piece of paper, the things that I, the, the ideal life that I would like to have. And it doesn't seem that far out. Like it doesn't seem like this thing I can never have. I think we're just like, so conditioned to accept, okay, like you want to aim for like 60%, 70%. You won't, you don't want to fly too high, like Icarus, but you don't want to fly too low. And I think that everyone should just sincerely put down on a page, like what is the most I can get out of my life and how do I spend the maximum amount of time pursuing that? Because what, what, what more meaningful thing is there to do with your time than to try to build up a future that makes you more excited than any other future. So I'm super happy that that, if that is one thing that uh, resonated with you and that you were able to implement because you have succeeded massively I, I often say in my mind and to other people, it's like, Matt is the guy who's found a way to optimize his life for the things he genuinely cares about. Like maybe Matt hasn't chosen to optimize his life for money and status. Matt's optimized his life to spend the most time doing 
the things that he really enjoys doing and either getting the things he really likes to do for free or finding some way to instruct in that area or to just surround yourself there so that you're getting all these different benefits of being paid to do it and getting to do it. So I admire you in that regard. And I think you're living that out perfectly. So. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I don't think of a better way I could end this. So thank you very much, sir. Wonderful. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, my dude. Good to see you.